Welcome to After School Democracy, the podcast that attempts to fill in the gaps you almost certainly missed in school about politics, economics, and history. I keep seeing on my more conservative friends pages that communism or socialism never works and communism always leads to tyranny. Well, there is some truth to that, but not for the factors you often think. Republicanism actually had the exact same reputation for nearly 70 years as well. So straight off the bat, I'll tell you I'm not a leftist. I'm more leftish. I would be considered a social democrat, though so would Bernie by all things he's called for. We are in no way, shape, or form even close to a socially democratic nation, much less a democratic socialist nation, and I can't tell if he calls himself a democratic socialist for shock value, or he is one hiding his power level, or doesn't really understand the difference, and we will discuss these later in the video. I believe in universal healthcare, I believe in free universal education, only because the state, unlike what libertarians will tell you, is much more efficient at converting money into saving us money especially on basic needs, thanks to economies of scale and through other things mentioned in previous videos. Though we're also working with the American system, so I believe public option and free two-year college that Biden was offering during the campaign, that will be the essential steps taken first to make the system possible to move into the ideal system as the younger population replaces the older left-phobic generation, as 52% of the U.S. population has actual phobias of anything even possibly being socialist in this last election cycle. That said, I'm more left sympathetic and want them to understand how to better communicate so A, they can grow if their ideas really are as good as they say, and B, they can get to the point where they can explain it fully enough that all of my gaps and confusion are finally filled in and I can carefully assess whether they're 100% correct or their arguments have merit, but they're missing some key pieces, something I try to avoid, from when I swallowed libertarianism whole hog and realized later half of human history was purged from their calculations and there's no step two before step three, which is profits. Hence why I currently view myself as one-third socialist, one-third liberal, and one-third anarchist, because they all have merit, but each failed in some way, at least at this point, in the American two-party system and were a few decades away from overcoming left phobia that the House on Un-American Activities and COINTELPRO brainwashed the nation with. As I said in my series, What the Heck is a Liberal, there are only two ideologies that aren't some form of liberal, monarchist and fascist. All the rest have common origins in enlightenment and liberal thought, just with modifiers and many different trains of logic, and some ignoring political reality has caused some to be completely divorced from reality, like anarcho-capitalism, which only works if you completely ignore entire swaths of history and human psychology. By the way, theocracy is also considered not liberal, but usually that comes in the form of monarchism or fascism. First off, let's start at the beginning. What is a Marxist? You ask an American what it is and they will say it's a naive idiot who believes everything should be free, which will cause people to be lazy, and if the state has the power to give you everything, it has the power to take it all away, which is why socialism has always led to dictatorships. Now let's go for the real answer. Marxism is someone who believes in the critique of capitalism by Karl Marx using a flawed but scientific based method called dialectic materialism, which we at this point in time find to not be as good as he thought it was because we didn't have psychology at the time, but some have modified it since. 
The founding idea of Marxism is that capitalism was good. I know, believe it or not, capitalism was a good thing, and I mean was, not is. It converted the world from one of kings and tyrants and isolated trade to one of free trade, invention, infrastructure, enhanced freedoms, reduced wars due to trade interdependence, and the elimination of old organizations that had held a stranglehold on human innovation for centuries. Because of this, better educated people now existed, expensive infrastructure was built, and invention was causing replacement of old innovations at a breakneck pace. And that was where Marx began to foresee problems. Adam Smith, the father of capitalism, had warned about some of these things and had a big impact on Marx, while Engels, his partner in writing the Communist Manifesto, belonged to a wealthy family in Manchester where the tip of the spear of the Second Industrial Revolution was kicking off, leading to pollution and labor exploitation on a massive scale. Capitalism and liberalism fixed the flaws of monarchism, protectionism, and mercantilism. This has made the world so much better, but now there needed to be something to replace capitalism to protect the ideas of liberalism and for people to get their actual value out of their labor instead of rich people getting richer off the backs of exploited workers and the banality of evil in a supply chain of responsibility where no one person was the evil one, but the system spread out the evil and responsibility and they all benefited from it and could could deny the evil due to the distance or being out of sight out of mind that great atrocities could happen in the name of business. Back in the pre-industrial era, people worked on the same pieces of work as a craftsperson from start to finish and got that sense of satisfaction and ownership from it. They also got a fair and full market price for it. The Industrial Revolution took all that knowledge with lifelong experience packed into one person and instead taught unskilled people how to do one part of the process repetitively, making it cheaper due to lower wages and economies of scale. Because of that, people had what Marx called alienation from their labor, and Adam Smith had warned about this in the first Industrial Revolution that with factory repetition, one will become as stupid as one possibly can be. Marx also expanded on Smith and other Enlightenment thinkers' theories of labor value that the thing that gave something value was labor. This included mental labor. You could take things from the commons and put the work into it, and now it had value, if people had a need or want for it. The founding fathers of the U.S. also ascribed this idea. Sadly, they were so dogmatic with it, they viewed native peoples as wasting the land they owned, and therefore it should be taken from them and put to good use. Pay no attention to the fact that they didn't actually work their land, their slaves did. However, there was the concept of private property that eliminated the long-standing historical commons, allowing people to hoard and have power over others, able to exploit and abuse more profits out of people, especially if they colluded with other owners to push down labor wages artificially. Private property should never be confused with personal property. No one wants to come after your toothbrush. Personal property are things you own and use and put labor in to create value. Private property, on the other hand, is an old Roman term where people acquired and hoarded land and resources they couldn't personally use, working usually slaves on it, acquiring more power, more land, and more resources, making those resources scarce to the rest of the people so they couldn't live in Rome or hold any land for themselves. Labor stopped meaning ownership or value. It was about who got it first and who was able to hoard the most. Think the game Monopoly. Private property could be used or abused as the owner saw fit, while others went hungry purely because of an unfairly distributed commons. 
People say socialism is about free stuff. That's actually not the case. The core of socialism is pre-distribution of wealth based on labor via unions, as opposed to redistribution of wealth via handouts. But as the rich have all the power and the money, redistribution is first temporarily required, so the powerful become just like the rest of us. If you did something non-agrarian on your own merit, even in communist Russia, post-Stalin, and made more than your quota, you got to keep the profits. Doctors were more valued than other workers and paid more to encourage learning. The differences in wealth just weren't nearly as extreme as here in the U.S. Another difference that the right likes to create is that socialism believes that everybody should get the same outcome. This is not true. They believe that everyone should have as close to the same starting point as possible, and from there you use your own merit. Though there should be some sort of safety net to catch you if the uncertainties of life make it impossible for you to do things like work. But after discussing all of this, Marx came to the conclusion that what made capitalism good, the destruction of old ties and powers while creating new ones, and automation destroying jobs and old guilds that fixed prices and caused stagnation in innovation, happened much faster than it took for people to reorganize to create new unions of labor to bargain with rich bosses who organize themselves now to keep the cost of labor down. In the U.S., for the first 100 years, you could be an owner or a partnership, and that was it. A corporation made up of private investors who didn't know each other was heavily regulated and could only trade in one commodity or was used for public works projects and had to be approved by state congress yearly or be dissolved. At this time, aside from the cases of slavery, worker and owner were on pretty much equal negotiating terms where the worker could bargain with the owner for better wages. The founders banned immortal corporations because they saw the political stranglehold the Dutch and then the British East India companies had, where these companies essentially owned members of parliament, which was why they forced a monopoly of tea on the colonists and is one of the reasons you won't be taught that they were protesting during the Boston Tea Party. Then after the Civil War, rich profiteers joined the Republican Party, turning it from a party of civil rights to a party of big business, and deregulated like crazy, allowing monopolies and immortal corporations, creating the most corrupt time in American history. Since the founders had banned immortal corporations, they saw no reason to put protections against them in the Constitution because no American would be stupid enough to bring them back even though Jefferson and Adams discussed after their presidencies that the yeoman farmer model was going to die with industrialization caused by Jefferson's pet project of replaceable precision parts, and while Adams believed they should be more proactive and cautious about worker exploitation, Jefferson basically hand-waved it saying that that was their future generation's problem and they didn't know enough about the future to make any claims about what should be done. Labor was exploited and abused, and the state was used to enforce unequal exploitative contracts with the companies, locking them into essentially slavery for the rest of their lives, until they started literally fighting and dying in massacres to have the right to organize their labor and collectively bargain with a company that unfairly collectively bargained but expected the worker to bargain as an individual. Marx made the point that automation was happening exponentially faster and faster, which was a great thing, but old jobs were being destroyed quicker and quicker than the new unions could organize to protect the workers. This would just lead to a never-ending class struggle until something changed to end this. On an extra side note, Marx and Abraham Lincoln actually exchanged letters with each other and called each other allies in the fight for freedom. So this is a problem. That's Marxism. What's the solution? We will discuss that next time. Just remember that Marxism is descriptive, it's not prescriptive. It's not telling you what the solution is, it's telling you what the problem is.
To be honest, it's really hard to discover the truth about socialism, communism, and anarchism. Both the capitalists and the communists use propaganda, each biased in favor of their side and very uncharitable to the other side, often not representing them or their arguments as the other side sees it. Pretty much always a straw man. If I have said anything that you can debunk, please let me know, and if it's dramatic enough, I will upload a new video to cover it. So thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I'm sure there was nothing controversial about this, and everyone will happily get along in the comments section, which you can do on the YouTube version of this video, or my Facebook page, After School Democracy. Link in the show notes. Just a reminder that I'm Anubis2814 on YouTube, and I have over 500 videos on different topics that I've made over the past 10 years. Please subscribe, and if your podcast site has the option, give me a like or review. If you think what I have to say informed you, consider supporting my Patreon. I'll be doing this podcast weekly and try to get it out on the same day, so I hope to see you here next week, ready to be filled with new ideas. Take care. This channel is helped tremendously by the generous supporters on Patreon. A big thank you to the wonderful Joe Taylor, Elias Garcia Guevara, and Ogrel for their support at the $10 a month Wapawet level. Please consider donating to my work if you can, and thank you all for listening.